We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, hey, welcome into another episode of Finding Freedom here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And this is the first here, I think maybe a second or a third, but uh, haven't done it frequently. Uh, for today's episode, we are streaming live to a couple different platforms, streaming live to Twitter, Rumble, and uh, YouTube. If uh, if this doesn't get uh, you know banned or uh, suppressed on YouTube, I'm sure it will. But if it does... Of course, you can go find it on uh, on Rumble or on any podcast platform. Um, here at Lions of Liberty, we have three shows per week. Every Monday, we have my show, Finding Freedom. Every Wednesday, we have Brian McWilliams and Mean Age Daydream. And every Friday, we bring you a little bit of comedy and culture and a little bit of uh, you know light, fun show to send you into your weekend with Memoirs. You can check that out every Friday. And that is always broadcast live on Rumble as well. So please subscribe to the show. And if you really like what we do, we would appreciate um, you supporting us through Patreon or through Locals. You can find us on the platforms. I'm not going to give the URLs. You guys know how to search platforms and, and find things. Lions of Liberty, check us out. We have bonus content, lots of great stuff. My guest today, really excited about today's guest. Um, she came out with a documentary which was released, I believe, in October. It's called Death Athletic. Uh, Jessica Solche, she's a director and producer, and she followed around and filmed um, an incredible story, um, one that you've probably heard about, probably you've read about, um, Cody Wilson, the creator of, or the creator and founder of Defense Distributed. And it's an uh, exciting tale, and the, the, the film is incredibly well done. So I'm excited to talk with Jessica about uh, that whole experience and also diving into, uh, you know, different aspects of it. So Jessica, welcome to Finding Freedom. Hi, John. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> yeah, cool to have you here. And, uh, you know, it's been, what, like six months since uh, the film came out, right? Was it, was, was it released right. in October? Did I get that right? Yeah, got it right. October... Uh, 20, oh my goodness, 25th. So first question, like what, what's the reaction been? Um, have you been greeted with open arms by YouTube and all of the uh, <laughs> different, different uh, platforms out there? I mean, the the platforms where you can, when you self-distribute, you can actually just hire an aggregator like, mm -hmm. uh, and they will place you on platforms like Amazon and YouTube. And from the ones that I was trying to get on, I think... Um, there was only one voodoo that didn't accept the film. So I guess I got shut out, out of voodoo. Um, but those are kind of like easy placements because that's what, you know, the, the self-distribution system does that. Mm -hmm. But other than that, um, yeah, I tried to sell this film in the past first in 2019. And it was, I was told by streaming platforms, like, you know, we can't get behind this. It's on the wrong side of history. I tried to sell it again it's, it's not, it's not kind of quote unquote allowed in the mainstream right now. So no one will touch it, 
But The Open Arms has been, everyone who has watched the film, it has been a really, really great response. Even Mm -hmm. for individuals that normally would not gravitate towards this film, you think it's going to be about guns, but it's actually so much more. It's really about the First Amendment. And it really kind of catches people and throws them off in the sense of what they're expecting. And it's really Mm -hmm. about like courage and creation and the ability of people to share what they make. So there's a lot more packed into this. It's not really just about 3D printed guns. Right. Yeah. It's uh yeah, the focus is definitely so much on, you know, our our freedom of freedom of speech, our freedom to uh, you know, freedom to access data um at, at a fundamental level. And the the opening scene, I, I don't want to give it away, but um, before before we get into talking about the the film itself, um, a little bit about yourself, if you could share how you got into uh, how you got interested and passionate about making films. Sure, um, I guess I've always loved the the storytelling of filmmaking specifically since I was young. Um, that went through you know acting process and all those kind of different different mediums of filmmaking but um i actually studied film i never thought i would make documentaries um i was in new york i did acting directing for stage um you know personal assistant work grip and electric i did all those things and then in 2013 um i was visiting family and i was told the story greg boker who is my first film called no control um, kind of like pulled me aside and was like, Jessica, I'm going to make art again. And this is what I'm making. And he was making an AR-15 pencil and paper that was going to be 20 feet by seven feet tall. And this was post Sandy Hook. And I really thought it was going to be like a very beautiful way into a story that everyone was talking about, which was gun control, right? Um, but at that moment, I was very, at that moment in my life, I was just very much aware of how media was every time that came up, it was just kids running out of buildings. There wasn't really like, it was the first time that I was truly aware that there was no discussion happening. And when he told me about the piece he was making, it just occurred to me really quickly, wow, this would be a really beautiful way into the discussion. And then Mm -hmm. five days later I was making a documentary and that weekend um, he introduced me on camera to um, not introduce me to Cody, but the idea of Cody Wilson, like, have I heard of Cody? And then I knew immediately, immediately that was going to be the yin yang of my first doc. So I started making that doc in 2013 and now I make documentaries Um, that came out in 2015. um, And I just wasn't done with Cody's story. There's lots and lots of people in my first documentary, No Control. Um, And I just thought he was going to have such a big arc ahead of him, as well as no one was going to tell the story um, as a full picture, as a truthful Mm. picture. Um, And I just kind of wanted to capture that. So So what year did you start filming for uh, Death Athletic? April of 2015. Wow. Yeah. And w- w- so what, what's the, what's the genesis of the name death, <laughs> death so, athletic because um, of the confusion around that. Sure. There's a book um, called you must change your life by Peter Sloterdijk, who's a German philosopher. 
Um, in making this film, I had to read a lot of philosophy to kind of um, talk to my characters, <laughs> which was a great, great thing to do. I loved it. But if, if anyone knows um, Mr. Cody Wilson, um, he talks in philosophical terms quite often. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at one point in 2015, everyone, not everyone, but a number of us were, was reading this book, You Must Change Your Life. And he has a section where he talks about death athletes. Um, and in his, in Peter Sloterdijk's terms, it's um, really about religious um, at, religious martyrs like Jesus, people that, mm-hmm. you know, overcome the tyranny of death and they're emancipated by like fulfilling their moral um, need, right? So that got tossed around um, and about a year and a half ago, I realized that that was going to be just a great title and slogan for what I feel like this film is about and what is happening in like Assange, Ross Ulbricht, um, Aaron Schwartz, all these individuals that we currently know their names who do things despite their quote unquote possible death. Now we're not talking maybe a real death. Prison is uh, pretty close to it. Aaron Schwartz, unfortunately, is no longer with us. But Mm. we also have people who fight for what they believe in. They get their cultural death. They get canceled. Um, They lose their family ties. There's so many other types of death now that people can go through for just standing up for what they believe. Um, So death athletic came from there. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so at what point, I guess, at what point in time did you envision naming this film Death Athletic? Was it after uh, Cody's arrest? Was it, was yeah, it that something was, that, yeah? It was after. I had like a working title before that. That was kind mm-hmm. of way too long. And then, um, so I renamed it. I think it was 20, 2021 when I started calling it Death Athletic. I mean, I don't want to get too much into, you know, the film itself because I, I don't want to give a lot away. But um, if you can just talk a little bit about the storyline for people who aren't familiar with um, the story of Defense Distributed and Cody's battle with uh, the uh, the government. Sure. Um, so what Cody Wilson is most known for um, still is The Liberator, which was the first fully, almost fully 3D printed gun that he put the code on the internet. Um, This caused an uproar. Um, He received basically a cease and desist from the United States, a letter. Um, And it took two years. After two years of receiving that letter in 2013, he had still not heard from the government and Defense Distributed had still not heard from the government whether or not what they were doing was legal or not legal. And, and, It was just kind of never responded to. So Cody being Cody decided that he would create a machine called the Ghost Gunner, which is a desktop three, a desktop CNC mill, which is the first time anyone made one that was a desktop. Um, And from the profits that he made on that, he decided to turn the tables and sue the United States government. So all of a sudden it was defense distributed against the DOJ. And it was for the rights to publish the code for 3D printed guns online. Because what they're giving and what many people still understand or know to this day, because they don't know the full story, they think Cody Wilson was giving people actual guns, like literal guns. 
But no, he, it was just code. And we mm-hmm. can go back to the 90s with Bernstein and Zimmerman when they fighted for encryption code to be allowed to be given to the public. Um, and during the Clinton administration, they decided, okay, we'll take it off the ITAR um, encryption and allow this tool to be allowed in public usage. So in 94 and 95, it was basically established that code was speech. Now, jump all those years forward, Cody is giving code. This code represents a gun, but this code is speech. So this whole lawsuit is really debating, is code speech, which was already established, and is code illegal if it represents or can future create a gun, but it's not an automated process. So it took a long time. And then finally, I'm going to, it's, there's a lot of, you know, nooks and crannies, but in 2018, he won the case, but how he won is that they got a license to publish uh, many of the things they were originally fighting to publish. So he just got a license from the DOJ and they moved certain um, munitions off of ITAR, which is a cold war era, um, regulations and restrictions um, in onto the EAR anyways. So, but when that happened, um, 21 attorney generals around the United States sued Cody and the DOJ on the same ticket. So basically now they're, they're, they're being sued together as a pair, which is ironic by 21 attorney generals around the United States. So this story, this legal story is basically there's something always happening. Defense distributed is always getting sued. They're fighting in the courts as much as possible. Um, ironically, at the same time, um, post 2018, um, lots of other individuals started jumping in to um, the niche world, which is 3D printed gun guns, and actually starting to generate a lot of content. So the irony is the government is always and constantly going after defense distributed. When we can just go on the internet and find this in multiple places, find this code tucked everywhere and download, but they've never went after anyone else. He's truly just like the, he stands, you know, he's, he's, he's the person to take down if you will. Um, so this is, this film journeys through all of that. There's the legal process, but it's also the discussion of morality, of ethics, whether you agree with those ethics or morals of courage. It's also, um, you know, it's also about humility and decisions and um, ways things can go wrong. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot in there. Um, yeah, that's the basic story. Yeah. And I mean, by the way things unfolded, um, I mean, um, unfortunately unfolded with, uh, you know, what, ha- what happened with Cody and his arrest, um, you know, it's very, very humanizing. I mean, you're, you're seeing Cody, you know, this, you know, a, a fall in real, in real life um, when he gets charged with um, meeting up with a girl um, who we met through, I think the site was called Sugar Daddy Meat or something like that, which the site itself says it verifies, you know, identification, age, but apparently this girl got around that somehow and she was underage, I think what 17 
in the state of Texas, which is, um, which is not legal for, uh, for sexual contact. Right. Um, Oh, go ahead. Correct me. Cause I'm sure. I, messed good, sure. I mean, if you want, she was 16 and the 16. legal age is 17. Okay. Yeah. Um, so from, from your perspective, you, this is in the middle of you making this film. And I mean, you just referenced, um, you know, t- 2018 was when, you know, a, a victory came through right around, right around the same time frame. I think, yeah. um, when defense distributor actually got a license, um, in order to, to move forward, um, to, to some degree. So from your perspective as a filmmaker, when you first found out about, you know, Cody's charges, Cody's arrest, can you just take us in your mind? What, what was, what was going through your head? Oh, it's very, I mean, that's a very, very tough time. <laughs> it yeah. was, um, it was not easy. I mean, I had never experienced knowing someone so closely and anything like this ever happening. So you can imagine every single question that runs through your head, um, ran through my head (laughs) continuously on a loop for a long time. Um, the minute I caught word of it, I, I, I had known where Cody, Cody was visiting. I knew he was in Taiwan. Um, I called him immediately, um, basically kind of demanding a response. And he told me uh, the story. Um, and from, I'd known him for a long time at that point, uh, and five, six years, and I believed him. Um, but you can't help questioning, in a situation like that, you can't help constantly questioning. Because there's there's no, nobody has any facts, nobody, you're reading what the police are putting out, everything. But, um I had known him for a long time and oddly enough, I think if he had done exactly like if he had sought out a minor specifically, I actually feel like he would have told me because that would have truly come out Mm -hmm. very blatantly. Um, So the hard part as a filmmaker during this part was really managing how to cover this without feeling like a vulture um, to stay. Let me, let me, let me ask you a question in that moment. Did you ever consider scrapping the project, scrapping the film? No, No. I didn't think, uh, no, I I never considered scrapping it. I knew that this was going to be part of the story. I mean, If you, you know, if you rip the heart out, then you realize, oh, wow, this is an intriguing turn, (laughs) you know, like that's Mm -hmm. awful. But no, I didn't think that. But there was moments when I was definitely working to uh, realizing that I had to capture this. But there was moments where I was like, am I going to be allowed? Mm -hmm. So first in the courtroom, because I'm in the courtroom a lot getting that um, you could be in the courtroom sometimes, but like there was a lot of permissions to go through. Um, Would Cody continue working with me was a question. Um, Even though we were still talking, like it, it happened in 2018, but I didn't get him back on camera until 2020, I believe. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was definitely a process of waiting and trying, you know, pushing to make sure I got what I needed for the film but also like trying not to be completely awful person at the same time. Cause it's a hard time to be happening. Right. So, yeah. When something like that happens, when you're making a film and 
you know, it's, uh, you know, just a, just life, life happening in the middle and your story has taken a, a stark turn. Mm-hmm. Um, at that, at that point in time, do you start to, to think about and plan like which direction, you know, is this film going? Is your, um, is your vision changing for it or is it just, you're just gathering and, and filming and you'll figure that out later? I mean, I was definitely just gathering and filming at the point. Um, so we're working at five, six years into filming at that point. And I had an idea. I was kind of wrapping up in some sense of what I thought after five, six years. I was like, oh, okay, time to really start making this into a film. Um, but once once this changed, um, I, just, I just knew that I couldn't stop filming. I couldn't just finish the film at this moment because as a story, that would be a ridiculous time to stop. Um, Mm. I knew that I definitely had to figure and go with what was happening. Um, So it was just a lot of gathering. Of course that did um, provide a certain kind of temperament um, to the film when we started editing and putting everything together. Mm. But, you know, the, the, the entire goal was, to be there as much as possible, but not, but really just <laughs> as simple as it is really just capture it as it was happening and not put any kind of um, opinion or uh, visual like um, sway into what was happening. Like definitely with this film, it's about defense distributed. It's about Cody Wilson. It's about people that work for defense distributed that never have been on film like Benjamin Denio who actually created the idea of the Liberator, the first wiki weapon, his uh, great engineer, John Sullivan, you see a lot more people. And the whole point of how, when I try to make a film is I want to, I don't want it about me. It's not about me. It's not about what I believe. I want the audience to be able to be immersed in something. And when they come out, they can make their own opinion. So going into that whole criminal part of the story it was the same thing um get as much information as i can and try to try to remain as neutral as possible when you came into this debate you know and and you start filming and i said when you came into this debate when, when you entered in creating you know art that is going to be you know used as a way to to influence and persuade others um, did you come into it with uh, political convictions one way or the other? If, um, you know, if 3D printed guns were, were right or wrong, was that something that you had in mind ahead of time before you started filming? In 2015, I definitely knew where I stood on all these topics. Um, mm-hmm. In 2013, um, when I started my first film, 3D guns was a completely new thing. I mean, completely new to everyone. Um, I knew where I stood on guns, but Mm. um, 3D guns, uh, I just started filming and figuring it out as I went. I had lots of questions. Um, So yes, I've always kind of known where I've stood on all these things. Um, Obviously it's possibly, it's it's why I'm so curious about them as well and how I could do a film for eight years (laughs) and keep going. but, uh, I, I mean, I do try to stay out of the film, um, myself, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I have strong opinions. So to zero in on that, doing a film for eight years from a, 
really from a just a, a process standpoint, from a, a day-to-day standpoint, um, how did like how do you maintain your your focus? How do you maintain um, you know your your vision, the the big picture of it all as you're in that day-to-day slog for <laughs> eight years? I mean, it was definitely really difficult a lot of the time. Um, just because it took a lot of perseverance. It took a lot of, there was definitely a smattering of moments through the years where I was like, what am I doing? Like, I cannot believe I'm taking so long. Like I'm still following and in this, is this just an obsession or I'm actually going to walk out of this with actual film? (laughs) Like, of course, all those kind of fears or other voices are, you know, chirping in my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, when I set out to do it, I, when I set out to do anything, I really like to do it. Okay. Like I, I like to finish what I started. So I just had to keep on going. And in that process, what that looked like was constantly staying in touch with Cody, staying in touch of the news, staying in touch of what everyone was talking about, the legal process, um, you know, tapping in being like, is anything happening? Do I need to fly? Where are we going? What's because sometimes I'd find out about something two days beforehand because uh, a legal issue would drop or something would happen. And that's when I would go to film. So it was kind of almost being like constantly ready to drop anything at any time and just go. But sometimes it would be months and months in between. So it was this, it was very like, it was a kind of a sustained readiness that was uh pretty intense for the most part because you know you're you want to finish a project you want to get something done but you also know that this is the this is the life cycle that's going to happen and this film would not would not have been able to be made any other way yeah yeah i mean it takes it takes a certain kind of person to be able to stay focused over that long period of time and, and you definitely um have what it takes to have what it takes to do that. So I want to ask you about a, a concept. I've had a, cu- a couple different guests on here over the years who've talked about the idea of criticizing through creating. And you know, when I look at your film Death Athletic, I think it is just a perfect example of criticizing through creating. Um, you know, in the current political system culture that we live in, um, you know, so many people just want to. Um, complain or, you know, talk about we need to you know, tear this down or end this in, in order to, to change the way that our, um, our politics function. Um, but with a film like this, you've really just through observing and creating art have captured this moment in time that is always going to be there for people to look at, you know, what happened during this eight year period that is crucial in you know how this country moves forward when looking at things like the First Amendment and more specifically, obviously, um, how that translated translates into how three D printed guns are uh, are regulated. So, is that something that really drives the way you think? Like, are you actively looking at applying um, criticism through creativity? If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I I guess I'd never thought of it as um, criticism directly. It's more like um, showing, like showing the beauty of systems Mm -hmm. that people create that counter the negative things 
by built like through building rather than complaining. Yeah. So there's lots of people that, I mean, probably me included about some things, you know, you can criticize, you can talk all you want and it does definitely fuel it. But the people that are really interesting are the ones who are like, I've got an idea and this will literally be a, a, an uh, example of how to bust through that system. Um, so yeah, the, the film, I mean, what's, what attracted me to the story is definitely the utility of creating something the government has no idea how to handle. And this specifically is in the techno-political realm of creating things on the internet, which, you know, the government is constantly trying to catch up with because it's such a vast, vast and quick system of sharing things. I mean, we saw it with like the, that AI bill, executive order, which is mm -hmm. crazy interesting. I haven't read about it since, but basically like AI, you know, it's the new thing. But with that bill, the government has basically said, you will give us a backdoor to everything that you will ever know, or you can't have an AI company, which is kind of, it's definitely, we can talk about how insane that is, how crazy, how horrible, but for the government, it's probably like their, their biggest chess move yet to play mm -hmm. in the techno-political realm, because that means they just have all these companies working for them and they can aggregate all their data and just take it from there. Um, sorry, tangent. Um, no, that's that, that's scary, especially as you know everything we do is now being captured as a as a data point. Literally everything from not even online. If we're going shopping at you know whatever Walmart or grocery shopping, I mean all of our purchases, everything is tracked and, and used for ads against us in order to uh, in order to pitch us. And you know, God knows what else the government is doing with that data. Yes. I, I like criticism through making art. Yeah. So, so during this time, I mean, you know, th throughout the film, you know, Cody is showing a lot, a lot of stress, obviously he's under a lot of stress as he has the, you know, these lawsuits um, that are ongoing. I'm wondering if you yourself as a creator, I guess two parts, if, if you felt sort of any of that stress secondhand and, or if, through making this film, if the government knew that you were making it, was there anything that was done th that you noticed in order to put obstacles in your way? Um, I never saw any kind of obstacles. I mean, if the government was truly watching him that closely, which I think they were, maybe they're not, you never know. I mean, in 2013, Cody was definitely like physically watched for a period of time. Um, I'm not sure if that continued. There's always like, there's always, you know, like little whispering, Oh, maybe he's a fed, maybe, you know, within the community. Of course. In know, the libertarian uh, community, I think everyone's a fed. So, so yeah, <laughs> exactly. So do they have my number? Probably. Did I mm. ever experience anything? No, nobody's ever from what I can say at all ever intervened in anything that I've done. Um, maybe they just knew, like everyone always teased me, Jessica, no one will ever touch this film. <laughs> so they're like, Hey, don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Streaming platforms won't touch this film. She's on the wrong side of history. Um, so you, so, you keep yeah. saying that on, on, keep saying that on, on the wrong side of history. Can you, can you just explain, explain what you I, mean by that? 
I'm just saying that because that was literally the quote that somebody said to my PR guy in 2018, that my film was on the wrong side of history, which I feel like has always been used in reverse when like, um, I've, I've heard both camps kind of say this, but it was the first mm-hmm. time where I like had heard it out loud. Um, and I, you know, it's like my film's on the wrong side of history because it's not like anti-gun film. It's not like, uh, it's not for in, in this specific case, it's not like, um, judging Cody and imposing, you know, a unbiased opinion on what he's doing. It's really because, just be, because Cody's not the villain. You didn't make him the villain. Therefore, yeah, I mean, I mean, some people could watch it and think that he makes himself though his a villain. You Maybe, know what I mean? Yeah. And that's because it's a story. But I don't specifically integrate a narrative to push an idea. This mm-hmm. is his story. This is defense distributed story. Everything that happens happens on their terms for the camera. I'm not pushing a story and I'm not trying to show a specific thing. And you can come out of the film liking him or hating him or maybe still hating him, but truly, which is more of a mind puck is <laughs> hating him, but understanding why he's doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honestly, I, I would like to observe, um, you know, a, uh, a gun control advocate, or a whole group of them watch this film and, and maybe you've gotten feedback from them just to hear what their, what their thoughts are and how they would counter, um, especially the, the free speech angle of, you know, all, all that's being done is data is being exchanged. Sure. I mean, I would love to as well. Um, I know I had in New York at the premiere, I know there was a number of people in the audience that are very like, pro gun control. Um, and they love the film. Hmm. It really took them to places that they were not expecting. Um, it was only positive now, whether or not that goes back to the idea, you could still love this film, but dislike the main character. That's up to you, but there's so much more. There's the, you realize the first amendment about it's about courage and bravery and death athleticism and all these things. So I think it's, it's far more, there's, there's, it's, it's far more, it's a much bigger picture than what people expect when they just like see the name of who I'm covering and like, you know, the image, because I do use that x-ray image of the liberator gun. It's just so good. It's so powerful. Um, Yeah. I think you had a first part to that question though, and I didn't get it. I, I don't remember. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, that, uh, that, that happens. Um, so I guess I have a couple open-ended type questions, which okay. can't, which can't be a little tricky, but <laughs> I'm just, I'm just curious, you know, looking back at the past, you know, not past eight years, but the eight years that you spent um, creating and, and filming uh, for this, is there any part of the film that you're particularly proud of uh, e- either a moment that you're like, Oh man, I'm so glad I was there to capture that. It's so important. I was able to, I was able to tie things together or, you know, maybe uh, a certain conversation that happened or is there anything that, that jumps out to front of mind when I mention that? Um, I mean, I love every single scene in that film there's actually so much that I filmed that didn't make it in. There's mm-hmm. more of like a reverse. There's so much mm. content that didn't actually make it into the film. Um, 
Oh, goodness. I mean, that boat scene was very, very important. And I'm very happy that we got that. Mm -hmm. um, the hmm, things that were really, really fun, though. Everything that first opening scene with um, the mapping of the gun, it was just so beautiful that when that happened, I was like, oh, my God, that's the intro. We have an intro. <laughs> that is such a cool, cool opening scene. Yes. Yeah, I, was, I, was I mean, so, oh, goodness. I mean, getting Ben on camera and seeing their interaction was fantastic. Um, oh, I, I kind of love a lot of it. And I just have so much on the floor that sometimes I'm watching and I'm like, oh, yeah, we cut that scene. I mean, you just can't you can't have a run on film at this level. Like there's just too much information. Um, mm. There's a montage at the end of the film um, of of scenes that were completely basically cut. We filmed in West Texas and um, I filmed kind of like the behind the scenes of when Cody was filming um, one of his last um, videos. And they were just so beautiful that like I had to figure out a way, even though I wasn't going to have all these scenes and it wasn't going to be its own section. I had to figure out a way of getting it in the film, just some of mm -hmm. the visuals because they're just too beautiful to me. Um, so we were able to like, I was like, okay, there's going to be like a minute and a half at the end of the film and I'm going to pull some voiceovers and I just going to, it's going to be a little bit maybe random or maybe it's going to be like a breath before the end, but I had to do that's like, I love, I love some of the montages for sure. Yeah. Those were great. And I remember really cool. the question. <laughs> what, what was it? You asked me um, during the making of the film, did I feel like all the stress, how, what was oh, the yeah. ride? Like? Um, mm -hmm. I, even though I was never part of defense distributed, obviously um, I felt so hyper connected to everything that was happening at all times. Um, I, I definitely, you know, you have this feeling of being in the mix of being part of it and everybody there, everyone that you see on camera was always so very accepting and lovely to me. And, um, another reason why I could actually make the film is that I was allowed into their lives in these moments. So yeah, even I, I felt all that stress, every single loss or win or thing that happened, it was, it, it 100% felt like I was there with them suffering or winning at the same time. Yeah. So a, a second open-ended question here, which is kind of similar, but, but a little bit different. Um, you know, we've been talking for almost 40 minutes now. Um, is there any part of the film that you think was, is, is really important to talk about now with the, um, in order to encourage someone to watch this film? as like almost a, uh, a teaser that would uh, get people excited about um, going to watch it? Um, you know, this film, I think, is the most thorough primer of the 3D printed world from, because it goes back a little bit, 20 2013 to 2022, 23. Um, mm -hmm. So if you really want to know how things went down, if you want to know even about Jay Stark and Terrence Dispense and why they started and why they kind of took the mantle and started running when Cody got into trouble, um, it's not um, there. It's in there. 
this is like a 3D printed gun primer movie. Um, so much has happened since, you know, 2019, 2020, other people started joining the community and building stuff. Um, and there's been, that's, that's, that's its own story. There's been so many like pivots and changes and breakups, I guess you could say. Um, but most importantly, if you really care about freedom of speech, this is a movie about the first amendment. Yep. Um, and that is actually why it's the most important. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent agree. This is, I mean, when you think 3d printed guns and you just hear that, you know, people automatically think this is a second amendment issue, but no, this all comes back 100% to freedom of speech in the first amendment, which I think, I think is beautiful. Um, I think that's really cool because you know, like, like we talked about earlier with bringing in and addressing and, you know, trying to persuade or at least give people on the left a better understanding of, uh, of this issue. I, I think it's, you know, I, I think it has a lot of potential to connect with, uh, with that, with that side. Um, I'm curious, you know, after eight years of, uh, of making this film, what is on the horizon for you. What is, uh, what is next? Um, working it out right now, but I can say that I was just in El Salvador. Um, and I was in, I was behind uh, like filming Nayib Bukele during the election day. Um, so that was very fun and curious. Not sure if that's just going to be edited into a short piece. Um, but you know, filling the waters right now, um, what's happening in El Salvador is extremely interesting. Um, another person really being pretty death athletic, if you want to, you know, he really has a strong sense of what he wants for the country. And he's going against, you know, all the other Western countries that are calling him an authoritarian and a dictator. Well, 91% of his, well, the vote was 87. He was polling at 91% positivity, whatever, of, you know, approval rate from the people. Right. And being in the city this weekend, I mean, he is loved. He that's got to be so interesting, you know, being in America and seeing just how divisive everything is here and then going to another country. I, I don't even know what that would be like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, I know someone that I was uh, attempting to bring with me um, and they asked me for kidnapping insurance. Like it is so intense in the American media or the other media side and what's happened in the past. Of course it was, it was the most dangerous country in the world. Yeah. I'd be scared too. But then mm -hmm. you, when you start reading things like, Oh, it's actually less dangerous than United States now. Like where does it land? I understand that. Um, I had visited one time before, so I also understood that it wasn't, wasn't, it's not dangerous anymore. Um, it's a weird thing to see uh, how the media again is representing a historical moment to their people and their audience and then going to El Salvador. And I mean, everyone is fantastically nice, lovely happy and it's almost in this like childish newness naivete of like wow we can be outside at night 
They have a center of the city where, you know, years, a couple years before, no one was ever there. You just didn't go out. It's interesting. Um, it's almost like I would imagine a comparison would be like being in prison and getting released. Well, yeah. Freedom is safety. And if you don't mm-hmm. have safety, then you are in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's basically, that's, that's exactly it. Bukele has allowed people to finally um, enjoy life beyond an extreme level of fear. And even we, we spoke to people that didn't want to vote for him, but they could not deny that their life had been completely changed. They did, their dissent was that, or their, their feelings or their frustrations was he hasn't done enough yet. He hasn't changed the education system yet. It's still in poverty and crisis, but you know, like how, how far can you go? It's been five years. I feel like that's a pretty decent change. Now we can watch this future and see if he continues this and he's doing the things he promises and he can turn the rest around. But like, it's a pretty good score considering where El Salvador has come from already. Yeah. Yeah, pretty remarkable. And to be perfectly honest, I really have not been following at all when I first started reading about it with this last election. So, um, yeah, that's something that I, I for one, if you do end up making a uh, <laughs> some, some sort of um, you know film about that, I would be very interested in uh, in watching it. But very cool. So, where can people find Death Ac- Death Athletic? Where can they watch it? Um, sure. Where, where, um, Website deathathletic.com. Um, you can go buy it with BTC, um, with Bitcoin or Fiat. You can buy it directly. Um, it's also on other platforms. So Amazon, iTunes, all those links are at deathathletic.com. Um, I am trying to be, you know, a Twitter person now and keeping everyone up to date. So Jessica Solche on Twitter. Um, and I'm, I I hope that there's, um, it seems like this year there's going to be more, um, theatrical screenings and things like that. So if anybody wants to like keep up to what's happening, if I'm doing something on a Salvador or drop anything, Twitter is going to be what, where it happens. Um, and first 50 people, if you buy the film, use the code virtue, it'll only happen, um, or work via, um, the link at Death Athletic to VH uh, VHX, and you can use Virtue, and you can get a discount. So awesome! Thank you. So I think you mentioned when it came out in October that you had a couple live viewings. Is that right? We had a premiere in New York, and then we had a premiere in Austin. How difficult was that to to coordinate and uh, and all of that? I mean, uh, I organized it, so it was pretty easy. <laughs> Like I, I, I like my control there, John. Um, How difficult it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't difficult. I didn't, I, the theater was fine with it. The Mm -hmm. I, I, AFS in Austin, they were fine with it. Got packed houses. It was great. I also went to Parallelly Poli in, um, in the Czech Republic, which is a hackers Congress. That's very, very Mm -hmm. cool. And they, I mean, that was really talking to the audience, right? That was, that was the crowd that really, really loved this film. Um, yeah. So those screenings happened and they were, they were really, I mean, for me, it was really intense and fun. Yeah. It's, it's a really cool idea. I mean, and what, what 
prompted that question is I had a guest on a few weeks ago, Chris Spangle. Um, and one thing that he is looking at doing, he lives in Indianapolis, is bringing like um, building local community through podcasts, like having live podcasts or just gatherings of people who listen to the same podcast together in order to meet in person. And it's so cool with, with a film like this, where you can bring in a group of people together to watch it. People can make connections and you can start to build that local community rather than just having, you know, a bunch of people that you kind of know online, but haven't met in person. But, you know, I, I think it's a cool way to uh, sort of build a community with like-minded people. So, um, yeah, awesome. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's all I have, Jessica. Thanks for, for coming on the show. I appreciate it. And we'll just do one more time, um, plug the website and your Twitter. Deathathletic.com and Jessica Solce, which is S-O-L-C-E is my Twitter handle. Um, this is fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you for talking about the film. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show, Jessica. Appreciate it. Ciao. Bye. Okay. Bye. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed that interview with Jessica Solce. And hopefully you enjoyed this live stream if you watched it. If this is something that you like going forward, if you want to watch on Twitter or Rumble or YouTube um, or Facebook, I'll do that uh, to our Facebook page next time. I don't even know if anyone sees our Facebook page, but um, if you do, then you'll, <laughs> I guess you'll find out um, next time I live stream. But thank you for listening. As I said at the top, if you like what we do, please hit that little uh, follow button. If you're on uh, Apple Podcasts, it's up in the corner. You can barely see it now. They've made it so so hard to find. Um, follow us on Spotify or whatever your favorite podcasting platform is. We now have video um, on, on available on Spotify if you are watching the Finding Freedom feed. So not the Lines of Liberty Network feed but the Finding Freedom feed. For some reason, the Lions of Liberty feed, they won't allow us to broadcast video. Not exactly sure why, but we'll, we'll try to get that figured out. And uh, you know, like with Spotify, you can also find just my show, Finding Freedom, on any um, podcasting platform if you don't want the whole channel. Um, or you can subscribe to both. That's, uh, that's the preference, of course. But thanks, everyone, for, uh, for listening and tuning in. And I will see you all next week. In the meantime, always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.